Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Thank you, Ben, and thank you, everyone, for participating and being a part of church on Sunday. It's always a blessing to see who shows up. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful morning. There's a lot to do in Orange County, a lot of great stuff in Orange County. I, I get to mountain bike. I watch football. There's a lot of great stuff, and you guys have chosen to come and be in church today. So good for you. You've chosen to come and listen to God's word. So good for you. Your hearts are open, and my prayers are that God will take this word as I've studied it and opened it up, and it's kind of worked in my heart, and that I can transfer that to you, and that maybe it will bless your heart. Maybe you will take a part of what God's saying today and put it in practice in your own life with your family and your friends and the places where God's going to take you this next week, especially a chance of thankfulness, right? A chance to be with family, and sometimes that's a great thing. Sometimes that's a really hard thing. Sometimes family can be really tough, and sometimes we've lost family members, or sometimes we have tough relationships with family members, and so it can be awkward, it can be challenging, and, and my hope is that God will fill you with his grace and his love so that you can enjoy a time of thankfulness, a time of celebration, and a time of sharing his love with the people around your table, and maybe even some of the people that aren't at your table. And that's kind of what I want to talk about here this morning. We're in this series called Flourish, and flourish is this beautiful word that God has given to the elders of our church as we've been praying and asking God where he was taking our church. God kind of gave us some new words to refresh the vision of our church, which is to build a generational community, that generational word that flourishes, there's the flourish, in God conversations uh, and the authentic love of Christ. That's kind of the, the passion that is the heartbeat of Watermark Church, that we want to be a community that's intergenerational that takes faith and gives it from one generation to the next, that shares that faith amongst the generations, because God is a generational God. We want to see uh, great conversations within the church and outside of the church about who God is, what he's about, and the things that he's doing in the world to have God conversations. And out of that, that we would be transformed and formed into the hands and feet of Jesus to share his authentic love with the people around our table, right? Our friends and families, but the people that don't come to our table. The homeless, the hurting, the broken, the addicted, the abused, the abandoned. Those people that don't have hope or don't feel that they have love in the Orange County today, we are here to share and to show and to take the love of Jesus to them. And this word flourish this morning, we're going to camp on uh, this idea of authentic love that comes as a part of our vision statement, but really comes, you know, through the person and work of Jesus, right? God's authentic love with skin on that walked among us. And Jesus was a master teacher, right? But he was so much more. You know, all of the great religions of the world, right? They all have a master teacher, a master founder, Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad, these great prophets, these great men that taught wisdom, and Jesus was a great teacher, and yet he was so much more. That's why Christianity doesn't really fit with the religions of the world, because our founder didn't just claim to be a great teacher, he claimed to be God with skin on. He claimed to be a savior. He claimed to be the Lord of all. 
And so Christianity is so unique. This doesn't fit with the religions of the world because of the distinctiveness and the claims in the life of our founder and follower, Jesus Christ. And so not only was he more, but his teaching brought more than just what was on the surface. And this parable on love, the master parable, many of you have heard this. Have anybody ever heard the parable of the Good Samaritan before? If you've been around, you've heard it, right? If you've been to church ever, you've heard this parable. It is one of his most famous teachings on the surface. It looks like here's how to be a better neighbor, right? You just need to do a little bit more, you know, give a little bit more, smile a little bit more, be a little bit nicer to those people that might be a little prickly in your life, and you got it going. It's a moral teaching on how to be a little bit more of a better neighbor. And on the surface, I think many people see it that way. Not that there are not good tips or techniques, but what I think Jesus is saying in this parable is a flourishing life, right? It's not just how to be a better neighbor, it's how to get a better heart. It's just not how to be a better neighbor, but how to have a bigger heart. And to understand that, you have to understand the context that Jesus was bringing this parable into. I want to look at that today, because God wants you in your life, me in my life, to flourish out of a heart that is filled and full and overflowing with God's authentic love. That's what flourishing means, right? And Jesus came to bring that, to teach that, and to give that to us all. And so this parable was a trap for Jesus. Before the parable, the religious leaders of Jesus' day were setting a legal trap for him. And so it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, right? And this test, although tests can be good things, right? Students, you know, I don't necessarily like a test, but if I pass it, I might get a better grade. My parents might be happy at Thanksgiving, and you know what? It might be a great break for me, right? So tests aren't so bad. This test was actually to show Jesus up, to make him look bad amongst his crowd, to diminish his followership because he was threatening the religious power structures of the day and Jesus had a big crowd and Jesus was saying a lot of stuff and so this expert of the wall was sent from the legalists, the Jewish elite, to sort of break down Jesus and show the people that he wasn't all that in a bag of chips. He he really was soft on the law. He really wasn't this great teacher that everybody thought he was. And so this religious expert, you know, who's more like a, he's not a lawyer really, he's really a seminary professor in the day, right? He knows God's word backwards and forward. He knows what it's all about. And he stands up to test Jesus and he gives him the million dollar question, right? Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life, right? Do you think this guy already had the answer to this question? Do you think this guy who was a seminary professor had ever thought about this? Do you think this guy knew the answer to this question already? He did, right? That's not why he asked the question. He asked the question because he wanted to show Jesus up. Jesus had been saying some pretty radical, crazy things. The kingdom of heaven is right now. What? The kingdom of heaven is right here, right now? And yes, You can come into it. Anybody can come in. You tax collector, you sinner, you broken, it's open, the door's open, come in right now. It's available in and through me, forgiveness, grace, life. Now, what are you talking about, Jesus? The kingdom of heaven is now? 
wait a minute, the kingdom of heaven happens after I live a good life, after I keep the law as good as I can, and maybe God might let me in after he weighs my good and bad and does the moral test on me. Maybe I might get into heaven. What is Jesus talking about? He's soft on the law. He's throwing out Moses along with all the prophets. Jesus is dishonoring the Jewish legal code. This guy's a bad teacher. we got to show him up. He's threatening our power because all the people want to go and be with him. Right? That's the context for this. And the question is a great question that the rabbis are talking about too. They're dialoguing about this. What does it mean to inherit the life that God has for me? What's the purpose for my life? Why was I created What is the essence of life all about? And yes, the answer is love. Love is the essence of life. We were created by love. We can't live without love. People that lose their loved ones are hopeless. They're hurting. People that can't find that love are broken. They're they're going after other things. Everybody's looking for that love. The essence of life is love. And how do I get it for the religious elite of Jesus' day? For the religions of the world, right? All the religions of the world, this is how you get life. This is how you get God's acceptance and love. You earn it. You keep the moral code. Whether it's Buddhism or whether it's, you know, we're talking about the Islamic faith, whatever world religion, if you keep this code, if you do these things, God will love you and accept you because you've earned that love. That was the answer of the day, keeping the law. He wants to trap Jesus and show him up and say, this guy has the wrong answer. He doesn't know God's word. He's dishonored the law, and he's not really a faithful Jew. And the thing I love about Jesus is he's his master, right? He's a master. And whenever you try to trap Jesus, he, he does this flip over on you, right? He turns you over, right? You ever see a guy wrestling, he's on his back, and this great wrestler flips the dude over, and he's all of a sudden on top. How did he do that move? Jesus does this all the time. He flips this argument right on its back, and he puts a love trap. Not to to show that he's better than, not to condemn this dude, not to put him down, but to say, I'm going to catch you in a love trap because I'm all about love. I want you to see the amazing, overwhelming, relentless love of God. And so what is the best way for a rabbi to answer a question? To ask another question, right? And Jesus asks this great question. He flips the dude on his back and says, okay, you're the expert here. What's written in the law? How do you guys read this? He replied, and the expert said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, bingo. He didn't discount the law. He didn't throw it away. He wasn't soft on the law. He actually affirms the law and says, you got it right, dude. You you got it right. Just go ahead and do this, and man, you're going to have life. What is Jesus doing here? Well, Jesus is asking him for what the common answer in the day was, because what does the law say? There's 613 laws, right? Is Jesus saying, I want you to read the first five books of the Torah and quote me the 613 laws that you need to keep to earn God's love and eternal life? No, no, he was asking for a summary. What's your statement? Uh, The bottom line on the law, how do you read it? And so the rabbis of the different schools would debate this all the time. And the common answer of the day was these two principles that comes out of the Torah, the first five books, Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus 19, which is on our wall out there, is love God, 
love people, right? Love God, love people. This is the essence of the law. Love God, love people. And Jesus says, you got it. You're right, and you're trapped. (laughs) You're trapped. Go ahead, love perfectly. Live a life of perfect love, and God's going to accept you and love you. He turns the mirror, right? The spotlight's on Jesus. He flips it over. He puts the spotlight on this guy and says, you'd answered it right. Now, how are you doing with this, buddy? <laughs> now, he's the one that's under the, 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 the pressure, right? He's the one that's feeling the weight of the law, right? I mean, let's break this down. Love the, God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, where did, where did these things come from, right? Where did your mind come from? Who gave you your heart? Uh, where did you get uh, your strength? Where does that come from, right? Uh, a soul, your, your internal sense of something more. Where does that all come from? Either you're a random chance accident and it comes through evolution and there's nothing more than that and you're just a natural set of stuff together, right? right? Matter put together. Or it came from God. God gave you your mind. He gave you your heart. He gave gave you everything. The food that you're going to eat at Thanksgiving, the money that you earned, the strength that you had to do that, the gifts that you have, the fact that there's air, the fact that you get to even survive, it all comes from God. And what is the natural response? To give it all back to him. All your mind, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. To love him the way that he has loved you. That is the natural response that someone who understands the heart of God. There's a bishop, his name was Bishop Templeton, and he said, you know, your religion is what you do in your solitude. What he was saying is that your religion is what you think about when you don't have to think about anything else. Hey, I don't have to think about work, I'm not at work, I don't have to think about this. You know, this, this thing that I got to get done on my agenda. Well, what happens when you're just at your rest? Where does your mind go? What do you think about? Hey, I think about who's going to win the USC-UCLA game, right? We better win this year, right? I think about if we don't win, who's the coach we're going to get to win next year? I think about the tailgate party that we're going to have before the game and after the game. I don't care about the game, right? I think about the cheerleaders. You, what do we think about in our solitude? Do we think about God? Do we think about how much he loves us? Does every one of our thoughts go to God and what a great God he is and thankful to God? And does everything that happens in our life, do we say, God, you're in control, this is yours, I'm here for your agenda? Does anybody do that? Anybody do that? How are you guys doing? I'm not doing so well. But this guy thought he was doing great. He was an expert in the law. He took a box and said, thou shalt not murder? I've never murdered anybody. Thou shalt not commit adultery? I've never committed adultery. Thou shalt not bear false witness. I've never really lied about anybody else. I'm in, man. I'm loving my neighbor. I'm going to heaven. And Jesus says, man, you don't understand it. Your heart is religious. You're checking boxes. What is the essence of what God is after in the law? It's a life of perfect love. How are you doing with that one? What about your neighbor? Do you love your neighbor the same way you love yourself? Do you give your neighbor the same clothes that are on your back? Or do you give your neighbor the leftover clothes that you want to throw out? Do you give your neighbor the same health care that you give yourself? 
Do you give your neighbor the same food that you give yourself? Would you want your neighbor to have the same house that you have? Are you caring for the neighbor the same way that you care and love for yourself every day? How you doing with that one? I'm not doing so good with that one. <laughs> I'm not doing so good with that one. This guy thought he was doing good with that. And Jesus is just the one who wrote the law. Jesus, the one who's lived the law perfectly, is putting the spotlight on this guy. And the moral authority of God is getting into his heart. And he's saying, love does not come from religious heart, dude. Don't you get it? The kind of love that God requires in the law does not come from your heart. It doesn't come from a moral heart. It doesn't come from your own strength. It comes from a changed heart. This is the reason why Jesus is going to tell this parable. Authentic love does not start until you realize that you're not really loving. Authentic love does not start until you realize you're not really loving. I said promises to my wife, I'm going to love you in sickness and health for better. For I, I, I quoted the law to her, right, in front of a whole bunch of people. I'm going to love you for better, for worse, in sickness and health, rich and poor, until death to us part. Authentic did not love, did not, did not start until I screwed that up about 20 minutes after I said it, or after, after, after the little honeymoon, and we hit the wall, and I was not loving. Authentic love did not start till I started to realize, I'm not a very loving guy. I thought I was going to be a good husband. I suck as a husband. I thought I was going to be this person that loved his wife. I lied to my wife. I thought I was going to be this good person that always did the best thing. This knight in shining armor, I let her down so many times, but authentic love didn't start till I started to acknowledge and say, I'm really bad at this, Kathleen. I really don't love you the way that you need to be loved. Authentic love does not start unless we realize, you know what? We're not loving people. We don't get this stuff. 90% of America in the Gallup poll thinks we're loving people. 90% of America, hey, we're doing really good with love in America. I, you know, I, I really like the guy that lives next door to me. And, you know, uh, my boss, you know, he's, we're, we're, we're killing it, man. I got a great bonus this year. So I think he's pretty good. And, you know, I, when, I, when I go to Target and buy some toys, there's a guy out there and he has a bell and I throw a few bucks in there. Man, I'm a loving person. Have you guys watched the news lately? Have you guys watched our, our political environment just being torn to shreds? There ain't a whole lot of love there. If you looked at your kid's social media platform and some of the things that kids say against kids, there's not much love there. Have you seen how many homeless people are flooding America right now? There's not a lot of love there sometimes. I don't think we're doing so good. But are we willing to acknowledge it? Are we willing to own it? You see, this guy didn't want to own it. He wanted to justify himself. He says, but, uh, uh, you know, Jesus, come on. I mean, really, who, who is my neighbor? Let's, let's define terms. Let's break this down. Really, who is my neighbor? You know, the one that I'm going to put in that box. The one that I like, the one that's right next door, that's easy to love, the, the one that comes to the Thanksgiving table that I really like. I, I like that, that neighbor, right? The one that's convenient, the one that I can just throw a few bucks here and everything's good with my love? Let's, let's break it down so I can achieve it on my own. He wants to justify himself. That's what America's about without God, right? We want to justify ourselves. We want to prove our existence. That means I'm going to prove my value and my worth before God. I'm going to justify myself. How do people justify themselves in Orange County every day, right? With money, with power, with success. This is how I prove my worth. 
I've got all this. I've achieved all this. I've done all this. He wanted to justify himself. And Jesus loved him. He was putting him in a corner so he couldn't, so he could choose a different way. Jesus was crushing him with the law. You want the law? You can have the law. And he was crushing him with the law. Because guess what? We can't live up to the law. As much as we try to, as much as we're hard to, we cannot live up to the law. We cannot love like God has called us to love. We're all broken. We're all failing at that level. Who is really my neighbor? Jesus was crushing his worldview. Why? To hurt him? No, to trap him so he had to choose another worldview. You can't choose another worldview until your worldview falls apart. I can't meet the law. What am I supposed to do, Jesus? Well, let me show you something else. It's called mercy. It's called acceptance. It's called grace, right? He felt the weight of the law and wanted to renegotiate terms. And Jesus was saying to him, dude, you can't justify yourself. You're never going to be able to justify yourself with the law. The law is the way of God, but it's not the way to God. The law is the way of God. It's not the way to God. I didn't come just to be a moral teacher to teach you how to justify yourself. I came to justify you. That's what Jesus was trying to offer this man, a way out of his worldview into another paradigm, which is called gospel, which is called grace, which is called inside-out transformation. See, authentic love comes from being healed by Christ's love. Not manufacturing our own love, not making our own love happen, our own power and strength. That's why the religious teachers were always dissing Jesus, because he was hanging out with people that were hurting and broken. You know why? Because they knew it. When you go to Mexico and you build a house for a poor person, guess what? They already know they're broken. You don't have to tell them they're broken. You don't have to tell them that their life is a mess. They already know it's a mess. It's the people in Orange County that have all the money and the power of success that don't think they're sick. They don't need a doctor. We're, we're the number one nation in the world. We got it going on. Everything's great. Right? That was the problem with the religious elite of Jesus' day. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law belonged to their sect, complained to the disciples. Why do you eat and drink with these, these sinners, these tax collectors? Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, right? You guys don't need a doctor. You're righteous and healthy. You're going to make it through the law, right? I came to the people that know they need a doctor, and I want to give them the cure, and the cure is grace and mercy and forgiveness from the heart of God, right? I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And the last time I saw, we're all sinners, right? This expert that was testing Jesus was lovesick. He didn't know it. Jesus wanted to offer him the cure, which was gospel and grace. He wouldn't take it, right? We, can't, we can be justified freely, not by the law, but by God's grace. Look at what it says in Romans. For all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we are all justified by the law? No, we are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ. That's the other way that Jesus was offering this man with his love trap. But the man backpedaled. The man tried to justify. The man wanted to reach it and negotiate. Who is my late neighbor? How can I break it down so I can achieve it? The, the comfortable one, the safe one, the easy one, the one that's at my table, that's my neighbor. I'm okay. And Jesus would not let him out of the trap. And so Jesus showed him the full magnitude of what authentic love looks like. 
That's why he gave the parable. Not so this man would figure out a way to become a better neighbor, but this man would realize that I'm not a good neighbor and I need a different heart. I I can't live up. I, I need a different heart. I need a different way than the law. That's what this parable is trying to show this guy. It's a moral way versus a grace-filled heart. Look at the characters in this parable, this master teaching, and how Jesus is showing this man, guess what? You cannot be the kind of loving person that love requires without God's grace in your life. Jesus said this parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. A priest, the moral guy, the self-justifying one, happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by, got out of the way, passed by as fast as he could on the other side. Then a Levite, he certainly is a self-justifying religious moral elite. He's going to take care of the guy. No. When he came to the place where he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan, A UCLA Bruin came by this guy? What are you talking about? A USC Trojan came by this guy? What are you talking about? These are the low-life people. They're not going to do anything. And yet this Samaritan did the most amazing thing. He showed grace to the one on the road. Look what he says. The Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. His heart was filled with compassion. That's the same heart, the same word that's used of Jesus in his compassionate, overflowing heart. He had compassion on him out of a heart. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds. He poured his own oil and wine, his own resources out of his pack. And he healed this man. These were for, for healing purposes. When he put the man on his donkey, he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. He stayed the night with this guy, a Samaritan with a Jew. This is unheard of. The next day, he took out two denarii, two months' wages. This will pay for two months' rent for this guy. He took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and says, look after this guy. When I come back in town, if there's any more, I'm going to pay for this. This love does not exist, guys. You have seen any of these guys riding around that do this? This is a supernatural, amazing love, Right? This is crazy love. This is extravagant love. Why is Jesus putting the spotlight on this? Why is Jesus choosing the most hated race by the Jews to tell a righteous Jew? He's showing him how his morality does not live up to the love of God. Jews hated Samaritans. As a matter of fact, because they wanted to diss Jesus, they called him a Samaritan. A righteous Jew would pray after he thanked God for his bread and his thanksgiving meal. He said, and guess what, God? Please help no Samaritans be in heaven with me in the resurrection. That's how much Jews hated Samaritans. They wanted them to go to hell. And here's Jesus saying, the Samaritan is the most loving one in my parable. Why is he doing that? To put spotlight on this guy's heart and to help them know that he's not a loving person. Because a loving heart only comes out of a heart that's been changed by grace. Not out of morality, but out of mercy. Here that... that A heart that has been touched by grace will overflow with gracious, extravagant, sacrificial, healing, giving love. That's this kind of love, and that's the love that Jesus is trying to offer this guy. You see, and it does touch his heart. Because Jesus is saying to this man that the fruit of love, the fruit of authentic transformation only can come out of an authentically transformed life in a heart. 
Your morality can't get to your heart. Only the grace of God can get in your heart. Because Jesus asked this guy, which one of these? Was it the moral person or the merciful person that showed the good neighboring love? And this man's trapped, right? He can't say Samaritan because he hates Samaritans. He won't get the word out of his mouth, but he says the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, yes. It's not about keeping the law. It's about showing mercy out of a merciful heart, a changed heart. Unless you are crushed by the authentic love that God requires. I can't live up to Do you think Jesus wants me to teach this parable to make you guys feel guilty because you don't love the homeless? Is that why he gave it? So you'll be, you'll, you'll be guilted out of here to do a little bit more, give a little bit more money to the homeless, do a little bit more to the homeless. Is that why Jesus gave this parable? Is that why I would preach this? No, that you would see that I, I don't love like that. I'm not a good Samaritan. I'm, I fall so short. I need God to change my heart. I need his authentic love and his forgiveness. And out of that forgiveness, God can start to change you and give you his heart. Through his spirit and his healing grace, he can give you his mercy and his goodness. That's an inside out. That's gospel. Unless you are crushed by the authentic love that God requires, you'll never humble yourself enough to accept the love that he offers you. This man did not accept that love. But there were many that did. Right? There was, a, there was a prostitute that accepted that love and she took her vial and she washed Jesus' feet with it. And the Pharisees judged and Jesus said, well, she loves much because she's been forgiven much. Dah. Have you been forgiven much or forgiven little? Has God given you much mercy or a little mercy? Has God given you everything or just a little bit? And if he has, that love should impact your life so much that you will hold nothing back from the poor and the broken, right? Never, uh, before you can be a good neighbor, you have to be neighbored by God. Because Jesus is the good Samaritan, right? That, this is a parable, that's Jesus' love. He's showing this guy it's through a changed heart, and Jesus is the gracious heart of God overflowing with love. Before you can be a good neighbor, you have to let Jesus neighbor you. You have to let Jesus care for you, right? You're the person that was on the road. You're the person that was bloody and dead and, and ravaged by sin, and God did not walk by. He came with a cure. He loved you with his own body and blood so that you could have his eternal life. It is a gift, but it is a gift that changes our hearts, the measure of understanding how we, how we understand that gift is the way that we love others, right? At the end of the age, Jesus is going to get people in front of him, and how is he going to separate sheep from the goats? On the way that people loved. Did you love the poor? Did you love the broken? Did you love the needy? Because if you love them, you understand how much I've loved you in your poverty and your brokenness. And so this morning, as the, the band comes up and we begin to close our, our service we want, to, we want to recognize how much God loves us, right? Like, like a little child, right? right? He, he receives us like a beautiful little child. He looks at us as his beloved ones, his ones that he's made innocent and pure by his love, and he accepts us in his love so that we would go out and we would learn to love one another with this kind of love, an extravagant, sacrificial, gracious, giving love. We love because he first loved us. This communion table tells us, dear friends, love one another. When you come to this table, realize 
You are here to love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone whose love has been born of God, right? That's the gospel. God births his love inside of us, and so we're born again. And the sign of that that birth is the authentic love of Christ in our hearts through the Spirit. Whoever does not love does not know God. He's just a religious person, doesn't understand God because God is love. This is how God showed his love at this table. He sent his one and only son in the world and he said that we might have life. This is life. This is my body and blood given for you. This is love, not that we first love God. We can't manufacture it. He loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice. My body and blood to justify you so that you could be accepted by grace, embraced by a father forever. Let that love come into your heart and sink deep in your soul and let it overflow. That's how the world is going to get changed. When Christ's followers overflow with his authentic love. When they give sacrificially and extravagantly. Why did the early church flourish? Because it was set on fire by love. Why is the American church dying? Because it's cold and calloused and about consumption and about narcissism and selfishness. And it has to start with us, guys. We've got to get real at this table and say, Jesus, do I really understand how much you've really loved me and all you've given for me? If if I did, I would be giving to the poor and the needy and the broken. I'd be going to my neighbor. I'd be sacrificing and giving to the addict and the broken. I'd be going after them. That's what God desires. Realize that I'm not enough at this table. Confess my lack of cold-hearted love. Receive the birth and the love of Jesus Christ at this table and respond by giving love away during the holiday season to others. Who can you give love away this holiday season? The broken, the hurting, in your family, in your neighborhood, the poor and the needy. Who is God calling you to to share this love? Not in a religious way, but in a life-giving way. That is what the heart of God and what he's after in your heart. This morning we're going to pray and just end with some great worship songs, but I I just want to encourage you to talk to Jesus, right? Have a love conversation with him. Maybe you're hurt this morning. Maybe somebody hurts you. Maybe your heart's callous because you didn't get it the way you wanted to. You're not making enough money. Your job's harder. Your marriage is a challenge, but how is that going to change It's only going to change when you allow God's forgiveness and you accept your part. You ask God to forgive you. That's how my marriages survive for 37 years is because I've been willing to say, Jesus, forgive me, Kathleen, forgive me. Man, I I didn't love you. And it's only been when that love came into my heart that love start began because it's the love of Christ that begins to heal and flow. Hector Rueda I met him because he picked me up at a Jeep dealership. He's an Uber driver, and we started a relationship. His family's in Nicaragua. His family could die any day because of the communist government. I cannot sit here and say, no, I've got to give my money and my time to get that man's family to rescue him because my heart is so broken. It's not my heart. It's God's heart for Hector. That's the one that God has called me to love. Who's the one that God's called you to love? to overflow and be extravagant. That's what redeems this world and changes a life. It's a changed heart. It's a changed heart. Let's ask Jesus to change our hearts with his love this morning, that we would be the church, that we would be the love of God in this world, that we would share that love with others. Our heads, Father, I pray for everybody in this, this room that 
is struggling with love. They feel unloved. They feel hurt. They feel broken. They feel let down by this life. Oh, Jesus, oh, that they could see your love today at this table, what you gave for them, how you bled for them, how much you think about them, why you were willing to come for them, how much you've forgiven them. They would be so overwhelmed with that love that they would give themselves a way to love. They would be ravaged by your love at such a level that they would overflow. They would go make things right if they've done wrong. They would go give things away if they've been greedy. They would go spend time with those they've been selfish with. They would go heal those that are broken. Oh, Jesus, fill us with that love that we would go out and change the world with your love. We thank you. We celebrate that love at this table today. Heal us and make us your love in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.